This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 24th chapter. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. The Gospel of the Lord. Alleluia, Christ is risen. risen Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Luther once observed that if parents had two sons, one of whom was smart and the other is dumb, You should encourage the smart one to become a lawyer and tell the dumb one to become a pastor or theologian because he will at least have the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, as a pastor and theologian, I have often wondered about that. But be that as it may, we all need and rejoice in the help of the Holy Spirit, who we have as a gift of our Easter life, Indeed, as we consider the theme of discipleship for these remaining three Sundays in April, we do so knowing the Spirit is with us throughout the lifelong journey of discipleship. And discipleship is following Christ in faith and grace, hope and witness, love and service. Today we focus on the disciple of Jesus as a person of faith who lives by grace. What then can we say about faith? We've often emphasized that faith is trust, trust in the promises of God in Christ. Just last week I spoke of trust as betting our lives on the truth of these promises. Another way of speaking about the nature of faith comes from the great theologian Paul Tillich. Tillich speaks of faith as being ultimately concerned. That is to say, you have put your trust in that which you consider to be the ultimate truth of life, 
which is a truth above and beyond all other truths, whether one speaks of the truths of science or philosophy or experience. The disciple of Christ believes and trusts that God has revealed in Jesus Christ the ultimate truth of all reality. It is the truth that holds all things together. And for the disciple, it is the truth that holds her or his life together. In today's gospel reading from Luke, we have yet another another instance of the risen Christ appearing to the disciples. For these disciples, this was the revelation of the ultimate truth of God, the assurance of forgiveness and resurrection life. This encounter became the birth of their lifelong trust, their life of ultimate concern. Now, sadly, one may trust in and give one's life to, or that is to be ultimately concerned, with that which is not truly ultimate, that which is not worthy of the commitment of faith. I speak, for example, of ultimate concern with success, social standing, and economic power, an age-old set of human aspirations. Taken together, they become a god for the individual devoted to them. In our highly competitive culture, that God's demands are what every ultimate concern demands, unconditional surrender to its laws, even if the price is sacrifice of family, relationships, and friendships, or even one's own conscience. It is an unforgiving God who crushes those who fail and leaves many who succeed feeling empty. Hollywood illustrated this very danger in the movie Wall Street. In the film, Bud Fox is a stockbroker full of ambition, doing whatever he can to make his way to the top. He admires the power of the unsparing corporate raider Gordon Gekko, famous for uttering the memorable line, greed is good. Under Gecko's tutelage, Fox becomes embroiled in greed and underhanded schemes that nearly ruin his father, and his realization as he heads to prison is that he has, in effect, almost lost his soul. Now, it's an extreme fictional case, to be sure, but not without similar examples in the lives of many very ordinary people. And, of course, the quest for success is not always a desire for wealth. Obsession with one's personal passion for any number of goals can easily crowd out all other values. And for some in our age, it seems that there is no ultimate at all, only a kind of day-to-day wandering, a succession of ups and downs. That's all there is, they say. Or perhaps the ultimate is simply one's own happiness. However, they define it. It is my life, and I will do with it as I please. Now, success and personal happiness can certainly coexist with strong Christian faith, especially for those who stay close to the word, the sacrament, and the fellowship of fellow believers, because it is in that context where grace abounds. 
and faith that embraces the gospel of the risen Christ as the ultimate revelation of God and the hope of the world, the truth above and beyond all truths, that faith, that faith is born of God's grace and God's grace alone. Now, at the same time, faith can become distorted. For some, true faith is identified with having the right emotionally charged religious experiences. For others, true faith is a matter of believing the right thing and insistence upon pure doctrine. Still others equate true faith with moral excellence. These are distortions because they locate the truth of faith in one's own individual experiences or achievements. Those who fall into this trap have a tendency to judge as inferior Christians who do not who do not have the same experiences or meet their standards of belief and morality. Self-satisfied, they lack a trait of serious faith. And that trait is doubt. That's what I said, doubt. Faith is a risk. The writer of Hebrews states it well. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen requires the courage to take the risk of faith. In the absence of risk, there is no doubt, only complacency. On the other hand, doubt is an indicator of the seriousness of one's faith. The doubt that troubles us is a sign of how deeply we are concerned with that which we believe. That doubt reminds us that we are desperately in need of grace for the courage to believe, to take the risk of faith that is genuine trust. Faith as trust engages the whole person, spirit, mind, and will in a unity of humble, grateful, and self-giving response to being touched by God's grace, being touched by the holy, the holy, a love that wants to draw us in and make us holy and immortal. So we speak, and rightly so, of God's extravagant grace. And many Christians and Lutherans in particular like to emphasize St. Paul's teaching that we are justified, that is, made right with God, by grace through faith without the works of the law. However, this extravagant grace, for some, can morph easily into cheap grace. This is the concern that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian, who was killed by the Nazis for his opposition to Hitler, he introduces the notion of cheap grace in his book entitled Discipleship. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. It is grace without repentance. Cheap grace is the complacent attitude and way of life that regard extravagant grace and forgiveness as a free pass to live much as one pleases without the need to be concerned about following Jesus in the ways of love and service. Luther is often quoted as saying to his friend Melanchthon, sin boldly, yet more boldly still believe. Now, as I tell my students, Luther did not mean that 
we like to sin and God likes to forgive and it's a perfect arrangement. What he meant was that as sinners in a broken world, our best efforts will often bear the marks of sinful imperfection. But we should live and and act boldly as disciples in the face of life's challenges, trusting that God is with us to guide us and sustain us, even in the messiest of situations. And grace is hardly cheap. It is costly, for it cost God the life of the Son and the pain of our tragedies. While it is certainly true that we are saved by grace through faith without the works of the law, the grace-fueled faith that is ours in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit wants to follow Jesus' ways out of love for God and the neighbor. The fruits of the Spirit, St. Paul says, are love, joy, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To know the love of God and trust in it is to become a people of love. To To know the mercy of God is to become a people who are merciful and forgiving. To know the creator God who loves the earth and all that is in it is to become a people who care for the creation. To know Jesus Christ who gave himself for all people is to affirm the infinite worth of all people. To know God in Jesus as the creator and redeemer of all life is to work for the health and life of all people. Formed in faith by the grace of God, we are a people who seek to reenact God's gracious actions in our world. Formed in faith by the grace of God, we are disciples. Praise God. Amen.